Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am so excited. We are at the Sunset Tower Hotel. However, it is not lunch. It is dinner time, and therefore I am dressed in a black velvet Armani blazer, trying to be all like, you know, sultry sexy for Hollywood tonight because we're having a meal with an incredible guy, a guy that you've seen in many movies and television shows throughout the decades. Hi. How are you? You look very dashing tonight. Do I? Yeah. He's eternally youthful. He's been rocking it since the 80s, right through the 1990s, 2000s. He's an actor, a writer, a podcaster. What do you eat uh, when you I'm come to the tower? I'm very hungry, so okay, this is good. perfect. Yes. What is your go-to here? I tend to do a steak when I'm here. Ooh, okay, um, then I'm going to do the same. We are having dinner tonight with Mr. Rob Lowe. So pull up a chair, grab a glass of rosé, and we'll be back soon. I'm Bruce Bozzi, and this is my podcast, Table for Two. I just want to hit upon, because I happened to watch the um, trailer for Unstable. Yes. So, Rob has a new show, which will be a number one Netflix show, just like the last one was, What's with up? your son, John Owen Lowe, called Unstable. And I got to say, the the uh, trailer is so fucking funny. Oh, good. It's funny, it's right? Great. <laughs> okay, it's great. Okay, it's great. Can you, you tell us about that and working with your son and the whole thing? So the genesis of the whole thing was, I have two sons, Matthew, who's 29 and works in finance now, and John Owen, who is a, a writer and actor. And he would troll me on my Instagram, <laughs> just just to bust my chops. Right. Relentless, right. relentless busting of chops. Just saying, dad, don't do this, dad, don't do that. Go on my Instagram and, and go back and look and you will see what he, what he, right. what he, he's, it's, he's super witty. Yeah. And really, really funny. He, he's very good. The way he delivers lines. Yeah. It's, it's hysterical. He's got good timing. He's got, yeah. 
so he started doing that and just to bust my chops there was no, there was no agenda to it there was he just was doing it as something as a goof on his old dad and people started noticing it and people started commenting on it right. and it got to the point where when i would do an interview whether it was for ellen or jimmy kimmel or good morning america it didn't matter who they always wanted to ask about john owen and how he trolls me right and finally got to the point where john owen and i started thinking people are wanting this and enjoying it yeah is there what could we possibly do with it as a as a project or something and yep. i thought well we're not going to do a reality show about our, our relationship but is there something about the relationship that we can transpose and make a show out of and that became unstable right you know i i took some of the uh some of my qualities and put them on steroids right and, and John Owen basically plays himself right <laughs> and it just is a super funny fun father-son comedy was it hard working with your son is it difficult is it fun it's great it's great oh it's great it's heaven because yeah. um, both my boys I feel like we're three people with the same brain okay wow you know all content is so subjective you know, art, whatever it is. And to have someone who's a partner with you who has the exact same taste, I can delegate things to him. He can right. delegate things to me as, as producers. Yep. And I like, I know if new pages are written on the script. If he likes them, I know I'll like them. Right. Or if he doesn't like them, I know I'm going to like it even less. You know, we grew up exactly at the same time. And you, and you talk about it so much in your memoir. And I want to talk about California in the 70s and the 80s and, and oh, just it's my favorite subject the parenting that didn't and did happen but I one of the things that I do this with my kid too is we're sort of silly we grew up in a in a time where we'd get on our bikes and we'd go out until it got dark and our parents never asked where we were didn't know where we Ever. were and no. frankly didn't care where we didn't were didn't care and so there's a freedom and a sort of zest for life and I think it informs the sort of joie de vivre of, of certainly of my character, my worldview. Right. I think the joie de vivre is key. You really want to treat, the audible is amazing of your book. Oh, Hearing thanks. you actually, you know, talk about that time and the move from Dayton to Malibu and then everything that went down, the buses you had to take to the parents that didn't exist. And there's so much humor in your point of view in it and even being like where you were allowed to sit on the bus oh yeah to you weren't allowed to sit on the bus that's right i was never a cool kid so i couldn't sit with the i find that so hard to believe like, no no in. man listen i wasn't like, i wasn't on. a surfer then i only learned to surf in my 40s i right. came to malibu in, at 13 and you they weren't going to let a 13 year old ohio kid right they were mean <laughs> they, 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 they were the, not they beat the shit out of you wow like if you were from the valley and you tried to surf there they'd slash your tires really it's a real no fooling territorial surf gangs and they weren't going some kid right go out and surf so i never learned but malibu then was was a very very different thing than it was than it than it is now it was really rugged yeah super rugged no you, you and, get this that feel and sort of and very sort of you know working classes like firemen right. and cops yeah what's so special about you rob is you kind of like yeah i want to be an actor and i'm going to figure this out and i might get beat up today <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they didn't appreciate 
me being an actor, even in Cal- I came to Cal- from Ohio. They thought I was really crazy wanting to be an actor. I get to California, to, to, and I think everybody, it's the, the, the bastion of show business, and they didn't like it either. Right. They just did, it was like. I love when you go back to Ohio to be, and you were like, oh, maybe like peanut butter and jelly is going to be like performing it. No, the, I was in a, I was in a, a kid's all-star review in Ohio <laughs> when I was 10, 11, 12 called Peanut Butter and Jelly. And we would do covers. I think somebody sang You're So Vain by Carly Simon, but we also did original pieces and we would like do play at the malls and the opening of things. And like, we didn't play like bar mitzvahs, but it was very close. Right. We didn't play in bar mitzvahs because there weren't any Jewish people. Right. <laughs> right. We would have played. Them. Right. Exactly. Um, but I thought that was like the beginning of my big break that I was in peanut, peanut butter, butter and jelly. jelly. Yeah, what a great name. <laughs> so, as lame as the name is, is as lame as my memory of it was. But boy, I thought it was. The, no, but I love it because you tell a story of going back and you're like miserable going back at some at one yeah. point to Ohio. And then you call up the guy. I was like, hey, we st- hey is peanut butter and jelly still? It was like, yeah. I was like Fleetwood Mac. So is, is Fleetwood Mac getting back together, man? Are we gonna, are we gonna go on the road? Are we gonna play the Dayton Mall? And they, they just were like, no kid, that's it's over. It's like, Get yeah, a life. you're done. You know, I know a lot about Rob's career because just being basically the same age, I watched and there was a lot of influences of your movies and things that were going on. Yeah. Um, you referenced sort of growing up in Malibu and the kids and the freedom. How did you figure that out with Cheryl, with your boys? Because the world changed so much. The world did did change. I mean, no, no parent today is going to let their kid go on an audition from Malibu into Hollywood taking three buses. Right. By themselves. By themselves at 12. Right. It's not going to happen. So when I had kids, I tried to give them as as much freedom as I could. And the main thing I did was there's always going to be that cool house that everybody wants to hang out at. Right. And I decided it would be mine. Yeah. That key. Because then you can keep an eye on everybody. Yep. When I was young, it was the Sheen's house. But Martin was always on location. Right. So Rob grew up literally next to... Martin Sheen and Janet Sheen. Martin and and Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. Right. We were all friends. And theirs was the cool house because they're cool people, but they also had a pool. They had an amazing pool. (laughs) Um, So I recreated that with my house. So all the kids were there all the time. I know all my, my boys' friends. So you have the in, the intel. Yeah. You have the behind the scenes. Otherwise, you're not getting it because they're not going to give it up to you. But if you can kind of witness it, then you're it's it's very helpful as a parent. You talk about, and I, find, I found it so devastating. So you talk about this group of kids that you were growing up with. They all died horribly. Yeah, we had in, in my junior high, my junior high was three grades. It was the seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade junior high. Seven hundred kids probably. Right. And there were at least seven deaths. That's and, insane. And like if that happened today, it'd be like an international news story. Completely. It'd be like, what's going on? I mean nobody cared. It was yeah. just like it was just a different time. Right. But you know, a lot of them were drug overdoses, a lot of them were tragic freak accidents. Yeah. But all of them were because of the lack of parent oversight, access to drugs, and the behavior that unsupervised kids will have that put you in a position to have a freak accident. Yeah, you lay that out, I think, kind of perfectly with those like three things that come into play as far as like what's responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Because 
clearly there's still an issue going on with kids that are doing and they're dying from fentanyl overdoses and kids don't have the freedom that they used to but what I feel from your growing up was a kid that knew who he wanted to be how to get there how to figure out how to get there to be a kid to be able to take three buses to go to an audition that like you said at that age at that age which is a 30 second audition for a commercial it's like oh okay you know turn around what's your name great go home and it's like I I knew what I wanted to do I I, I knew who I wanted to be and it was a blessing it gave me a focus I didn't have to struggle and I see so many almost everybody you know at at a certain point you're going what am I going to do with my life and you know, I just didn't have that experience. It's hard for me. I empathize with it, uh-huh. but I don't relate to it right? because I didn't have that. Right. I was just a completely driven, single-focused. You were amazing. You tell a story. A little heartbreaking was uh, Telly Savalas in the department store story. Yeah, I, when I was um, still living in Dayton in the mid-'70s, there was nobody bigger than Kojak. Nobody bigger. Nobody. And I wanted Huge. to be an actor, and I read in the paper that Telly Savalas is going to be appearing at the Reich's department store on the 8th floor next to the women's lingerie. And I was like, what? So I take the bus again with the buses. And then there's another one. So I'm, 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 I'm 10 years old. And right. I go, hey, mom, I want to go see some, some Hollywood actor down at the department store. She's like, yeah, great. So I go down there. I wait in like a four-hour line to get his autograph. I finally get to the front of the, the line and they shut the line down time for him to go and I'm super bummed because I bought him a lollipop because Kojak his bit was he always sucked a right. lollipop and right. I think he has taglines who, who loves you baby right who like, exactly who, who loves you baby, baby with his like blow pop or whatever right. the fuck right. it was right. and and I and I'm like all of 10 and I and I it's amazing I grab one of the guys by the coat and go excuse me sir could you maybe you could just give this lollipop to Mr. Savala said yeah sure kid absolutely and he turns to walk away and he throws it in the trash and I was so like heartbroken and I just remember it. I've never forgotten it. I think about it all the time in terms of dealing with people who come up to me. I was at once a fan yeah. of somebody's. And so I don't have to try to, it's in my nature. I, I'm always, I always enjoy meeting people right. because I, I, I remember vividly what it's like to be a fan of somebody's. Yeah, no. I, mean, I don't want to throw anybody's lollipop in the trash. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. 
This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. We're back. Today is a special one for me on Table for Two with the beautiful Rob Lowe. Rob's four-decade career wasn't always easy, and in 1982, he nearly walked away. But just a year later, Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation of The Outsiders changed Rob's life forever. Let's jump back into our dinner. You know, your memoir really goes deep into the audition process and then the actual shooting process with Francis Ford Coppola, which is like crazy what he made you guys do. And like, because that was like the first really big moment. My first movie. That was your first movie. So you had done all the smaller stuff. I'd done, I'd, I'd done a sitcom on ABC and I played like the teenager, the teenage son. And it ran for like six episodes and was canceled. Um, and then... I'd done some after-school specials, if you remember those. I God, remember those. those. Are, Wednesdays on 3 o'clock. I remember o'clock, yours. Were, it was a big deal. It was a big one. Yeah. It was an important moment for me. But I, yeah. I'd never done a movie. Right. And, you know, sitcoms and after-school specials are not movies. Right. And they're certainly not Francis Ford Coppola. No. And, you know, Coppola at that, still one of our great filmmakers. But yeah. At that moment, he was, you know, he was only a few years off of making Apocalypse Now. Right. And, you know, and of course, got The Godfathers. And so here's this very, very lauded, serious filmmaker doing a movie where all the roles are 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Right. And, you know, all the kid actors were like, this This is the, it's the, the goal, the Willy Wonka gold ticket. Yeah. That everybody wanted. And, and you talk about the auditions and you reference... In the auditions, so there's the West Coast guys that are auditioning and the New York actors. I I love this because he really makes you work for this. 
the West Coast actors were you, Emilio. Emilio. Weirdly enough, Tom, because he was staying out here with Emilio. So okay. Cruz was out here, even though he was East Coast. Pony Boy, Tommy Howell. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the East Coast, and that's where Matt Dillon was. Right. Ralph Macchio played right. Johnny. Right. And we went through this whole process m- months, months of audition. Months. months and months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And then he picked his favorites, and then he took us to New York, and it was the same thing there. But it wasn't months, it was, you know, a week. Right. And then, but we did, I mean, there's more filmed footage of us auditioning than there probably yeah. is of us making the actual movie. Actually, if you go on YouTube, you can see it. You see some really great early stuff. So the process of that film, when your sons look at that movie, what, what was their reaction to that movie? Well, I'm not sure how much of anything of mine my sons have actually seen. Really? I know John Owen has never seen The West Wing. Really? It's what it's, not, it's become a bit now. Right. Now, now that's right. his professional calling card. <laughs> of course, so he doesn't Got really it. know. Right. Right. And I actually do think they've all seen The Outsiders because, um, much to their mortification, they had to read the book and see the movie in class. Right. Right. It is. That's a seventh grade. Yeah. It's, it's, it's grade. in the curriculum across the country for yep. the most part. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing I love more. Mm-hmm. Than going into a seventh grade class right. after they've seen the movie or and read the book and talking to them, I love it, right. and I love it because I love kids. But also, it's a new crop of fans. I mean, to be able as you know, the key to longevity is you can't if your audience ages out. Yeah, you're done. You're done. So the key to a long career is if you're lucky enough to figure it out having a new crop of people discover you every year and the outsiders does that right by design that's interesting so yeah. did you hear from those young people all the time i see wow. i still have you know 14 15 year olds come up to me and freak because it's soda pop curtis I bet, please i freaked what was the toughest part of when you were in production with that the night shoots you know i mean i never made a movie so the, the notion of shooting all night Right. In the rain and the fight, the big rumble scene was a whole week of shooting all at night with freezing cold, no dressing rooms, no nowhere. To, Francis was very mercurial. He would treat the cast great and then wouldn't provide any anywhere for us to get warm. Right. I love that I didn't know this, that Francis, when you run into Darren Dalton, who plays a Soch, yes, in the elevator and you're with Tommy Howell. Yeah. And you guys are on one floor, and in the hotel, the Soches, if you watch this movie, they have, like, access to a gym and room service. I love that whole... And the best part of it was, it didn't work, though. The best part of it was, it's still the outsiders. Everybody wants to be a greaser. Everyone does. One of those Soches would, like, like, I'll do without the room service, I'll do without the suite, I'd rather have the better part. So, that's always my... I mean, Francis had all of these great social engineering experiments he wanted to try. He had us playing tackle football in the street. And I'll never forget Tommy Howell played Pony Boy. His dad was was one of the great stuntmen. Yeah. Chris Howell, legendary stuntman. So Tommy knew his way around, even though he was only 15. Uh And he huddled us up and said, listen, I'm calling this game. We're done here. Because if I break my leg on this next football play I'll be on the next flight home and yeah. somebody else will be playing pony right. my favorite thing though Francis wanted us to learn about being greasers by talking to people who were greasers in the 50s so me and Cruz 
were hooked up with this family and had to go spend the night at their house in the basement. And I, I can just remember lying in this cot in the basement of a house in Tulsa with a, fan, with a family I never knew and just looking over at Tom and going, what the, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. It was, I mean, I understand why Francis did it. I get it. But it was, it's very odd and, and, and not the way most people make movies. Is that sort of methody in a way mm-hmm. and also odd because you guys were young? But I realized only later when I read, I think it's Easy Rider, Raging Bulls, the great yeah. book about movie making yeah. in the 70s and 80s, that Francis had lost the money for the movie. Oh. and Or it hadn't all come, so he was like vamping. Smart. So he's like... Yeah. Giving himself time. He also we would make us wake up at six in the morning and do Tai Chi on the location. And I could never figure out what doing Tai Chi had to do with playing a 1950s right. greaser. But whatever, you know, that's Francis. He, he's, he's a genius. I mean, he, he, he beats to his own drum. So if you had to like think back and if you had to sort of say, think of um, an adjective for each person that you were with, like if, you, if I said Swayze, like what is, what Ren- comes he, to mind? He was a true Renaissance man. Yeah. He was um, a professional ballet dancer. He was a rodeo champion. He was a songwriter. There's There wasn't a job that he hadn't had there wasn't anything that he wasn't good at. Right. He was a gymnast. Right. He was just one of those guys that was like, anything you mentioned, you go, yeah, I did that. Yeah. And he had. Right. There wasn't like, hey, this guy, I was got up 27 times. He was just one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, Seems like a really great guy. Good guy. He was a great guy and super intense. Like, but if you could harness... Swayze and Cruz energy, we could light the <laughs> right. world for a thousand years. <laughs> so, okay, let's go to Cruz. Cruz seemed like... Ambitious. Ambitious, He's intense. Never met anybody more ambitious. Right. And I'm ambitious. Right. He makes me look like a, a hacky sack playing <laughs> doper with a pork pie hat on in Brooklyn. <laughs> now, did he take that tooth out purposely? Yes. That was intense. Yeah, that, I mean, like, I remember the tooth out. It was there was a lot of one upping going on. It was like right, a lot of testosterone. Teenage. The only way that any of us got the parts were it was kill or be killed. Right. So the people who figured out a way to stand out got the parts. Fran, that's what Francis wanted. He pitted everybody against everybody. Right. And so, sure, it was hopefully in theory the best actors won. But I've always thought it was it was the people who had who could stand the pressure right. and who could um, find a way to score. Right. And Tom's part of Steve Randall was not a huge part, but, you know, Tom being Tom was like ambitious. And, you know, I remember Francis also thought that we should all be gymnasts for some reason. <laughs> right. You talked and, about this. Um, Fantastic. And so we had to learn how to do backflips. And so I don't know if you've ever tried to learn how to do a backflip. It's not fun. And it's scary as shit. You feel like you're going to yeah. break your neck. Yes. And I was not good. At, none of us were particularly. Swayze, of course, already knew how to do it, right? Because he, was, you know, knows how to do everything. Right. But Tom took it so. And if you see the Outsiders, and the, there's, the movie's playing, and and the movie just stops dead, and Tom does a backflip off of a car, and then the movie continues. Right. <laughs> Which and and that, so, 
It starts with Tom doing a backflip in The Outsiders, and it ends with Tom shooting a movie in the space station, which he's doing next. <laughs> we started a very serious trend for him. You really did. Yeah. So now Matt Dillon, who seemed kind of brooding and intense, he's mm -hmm. like the New York... He was Francis's favorite. He was. Francis was in love with him. Really? So much so that when the movie came out, we were making the book, an exact replica of the book. Yeah. And when the movie came out, it was all centered on Matt's character. So he cut a lot of what we shot. And about, I think about 15 years ago, they recut The Outsiders to what we actually no shot. Way. It's called The Outsiders, the complete novel. Really? And that is now sort of what everybody watches. Okay. But that original version is a extremely truncated. Right. And it was really shocking for all of us. Right when we saw it because it's not what we did but it was Francis's desire to focus totally on the, the Matt Dillon character so were you expecting when the movie came out that that would be the way it, it was oh then... never I will never I've never fully gotten over seeing the theatrical 1983 version of The Outsiders for the first time because all my stuff was basically cut no way I mean I still have a presence in the movie that's good and yeah but one of the reasons they cut it was, and this is, just shows you how far we've all come, one of my favorite scenes I've ever done, cut from the original film, is Ponyboy and I in bed together, thinking about our parents and holding each other. Right. And when they showed it in the theaters, all of the like, 13, 14 year old boys were so uncomfortable by it that they kind of made a ruckus and they cut, they cut that scene. And then I think once you cut that scene, you start cutting the fan, but it's a really beautiful scene and it's in the Outsiders, it's the a, novel. It's super sweet. Is it in the longer now? Yeah, it is. Okay, I gotta watch this. It's super I don't, sweet. I didn't know about this, Wow, well, This yeah. is great. Are you friends with the guys from The Outsiders? When I was roasted on Comedy Central, which is one of my favorite things, by the way, it's the meanest roast in the history because of Because you have the best sense of humor. It's so fun. I, FYI. Thank you. You really do. I can take it and I can dish right. it out. Which is key. Ralph Macchio was on my dais to roast me, so I see Ralph <laughs> um, Emilio I haven't seen in a long time he and I were best friends for years and years and years and Diane Blaine and I are always I've seen her around I did my one man show in Atlanta and Tommy Howell came okay. and I brought him up on stage It's we don't really see each other I mean, I haven't seen a lot of them in years and years and years. It's like kind of like life. It is you, like you know, life. It's kind of, but there's always that bond. It's like, I'm sure it's like when you're together, it's like you're together. It's like you never, yeah. And, and I don't know how, if you if you suffer from this, but like when incredible things happen to you and time goes by, you begin to question your own memory. Yeah. Because it's so outrageous. Yeah. So you, that couldn't possibly have happened. And then you, it's like you do with your, like I have a brother and I go, do you remember what mom did? Did, did she really? And he's like, yeah, because you question right. your youth. Yeah. So Chad, Rob's brother, who I know, love Chad, right. super nice guy. Yep. It's like you need a witness in life. Yes, you do. Having a witness, having a sibling that witnesses all of it. So you, helpful. You do get to a point where you're like, wait, did that really happen? I want to do that with the outsiders. I want to be like, did we really shoot for 24 consecutive hours? <laughs> yes. Right. Did we, did Francis really have a rap party every Friday night? Every Friday? Every Friday. Sushi flown in, China, eating on China. This, is hap this doesn't happen now. By the way, we also shot the movie in complete continuity. 
which is unheard of. You don't do like, so when you make a movie, you shoot each location all the way out. So if there are scenes in a, in a house that, and you go in your, and you watch the movie and the house is throughout the movie, right. you shoot that house, the everything in it, and then you go, we shot the entire movie in continuity. So if there was a scene in a house, we shot that. And then if in the script, we went to a lake, we shot the lake. And then if there was a scene in the house, we went back to the house. And then we, we was that a better process, do you think, as an actor? I thought it was great. And Francis, like, Francis did it, I think, to help us as actors. Well, how did it feel to be kind of labeled the Brat Pack? Like, what was that? Well, at the time, did at that the time... good? I mean, I thought it was cool, but I don't know. I wasn't... Well, that's what I realized quicker than a lot of the other people in the Brat Pack was... To the to the world writ large, yeah, they thought it was cool. But if you read the article that it was based on, it was absolutely meant as a pejorative, right? And a sort of dismissive catch-all for you know callow, ambition-soaked, you know Hollywood operators, you know um, who are just spending as much time partying as they did with their craft that's absolutely what it meant and the industry certainly got that message and so within the confines of Hollywood and New York it meant one thing right but in the world it meant something else and you know I very quickly got to the point where I realized that and was like how great right like I but there were other other folks who to this day won't talk about some of those movies because they were so they felt so pigeonholed by that name right but you know like I, I've had a ton of therapy over my years and you realize that, that, that people's perception is none of your business yeah imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions I'm Minnie Driver and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would 
treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair tonight, everyone. Movie star, TV star, podcaster, and author. But that doesn't mean you get everything. There was a show he was obsessed with as a teenager he never got to be on. Did you ever do, in the day, there was um, the thing that they used to do on ABC, the... Um, Battle of the Network Stars? Yes! Oh, listen to me. I'm obsessed <laughs> with Battle of the Network Stars. I went to the Battle of the Network Stars multiple times. You, you did? Oh, yeah. Did they do it up in, like, Malibu you wanna, on the beach? There's a, if you, it's a very embarrassing shot of me that exists on Google in my red dolphin shorts. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. Red dolphin anybody shorts. anybody could pull them off. No yeah. shirt. Okay. And I'm sitting on the infield of the Battle of the Network Stars. I think I, want, I wanted to go and see Farrah Fawcett Majors at right. the time. Right. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> by the time I was well known, that w- that era was over. It was done. Yeah. So the Battle of the Network Stars was literally the biggest thing ever. Oh, it was like the Oscars. Oh, no, yeah. Everyone tuned in, and it was all these actors well, from the different networks competing against each other. T- today, I was thinking about why, suits. What, how you would do it today, but today it would it would be like, it would have to be like, from Ozark, Jason Bateman. <laughs> he would be pulling a tug of war with the cast of Succession. Um. And, you know, the cast of Veep in the real estate, like it would be, that's what it would, it'd right. have to be that level. Right. The Game of Thrones people in the dunk tank. <laughs> Do you think celebrity and stars have changed? For sure. Right? Oh, 100%. I mean, what would it have been like if you could see anytime you wanted on TMZ, Marilyn Monroe with her yoga mat rolled up right. under her arm? James Dean coming out of Erwan. <laughs> Steve McQueen. Yeah, Steve McQueen. Just, there's no mystery. No. And now, you know, you have it on TMZ. You have, everybody has Instagram. And there's just no mystery anymore. Right. Um, and I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I know that it has, it's changed how people perceive stars. And it's harder for young people who are just starting out to achieve the kind of career where they transcend any individual part they're playing. Are there people that are resonating with you that you're like, wow, this is someone to watch? I remember not all of them are young, but they're people that you see for the first time and go, oh my God. Yeah. Like I, I remember watching one of my favorite movies is The Witch. 
and seeing Anya Taylor-Joy in that. And she's gone on to have this amazing career. And I think she was probably all of 17 in The Witch. And you go, holy crap, who's that? Right. So that's one, a young one. But then you also get people who are not young and you, you watch Inglorious Bastards and you're introduced to Christoph Waltz. Right. And I turned to my wife and go, that guy's winning the Academy Award this year. Right. And he did. So it's super fun when you when you see that. Yeah. Who were your the people that really influenced Paul you? Newman? Paul Newman. Paul Newman, Butch Casting, the Sundance Kid, The Sting, Robert Redford, um, you know, Electric Horseman, Three Days of the Condor, yep. uh, Dustin Hoffman, Marathon Man. Yep. I mean, these were the movies. Al Pacino. Al Pacino, Godfather. <clears throat> Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. De Niro in uh, you know Raging Bull and Deer Hunter, Deborah Winger, Deborah, Officer and Officer, Gentleman. Officer and Gentleman, right, is amazing. Like that movie, I saw it again the other day. It's so good. Richard Gere in that, yeah, it's sexy. Super the other thing sexy. is they had they had sex scenes in those days, right? You know, it's like all you had sex of, scenes in your movies. I remember you had sex scenes. Oh, I had, I, I I would argue you had too many sex scenes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, only because you're in the body you're in. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. do. But, <laughs> right. And by the way, the sex scenes are always on page 73. <laughs> I don't know why. I, because what I think 73 mean? is the middle of act two. Okay. And as any writer will tell you, middle of act two is where things get a little slow. Okay. So oh. that's where I would always go to page. I'm just telling you, look at any <laughs> script from like... Vision Quest, young boy, like the sort of teen. Yes, Vision center. Quest. That's the one where page seventy-three, somebody has to get naked, and usually it was me. Did you ever have a sex scene that it was like just gone all wrong? There was like either the chemistry wasn't there, or the people didn't. It just was. Like, I had oh. I had sex scenes with people who I thought, oh, this is going to be off the chain, and it was like meh. <laughs> and then I also had scenes where I was like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, <laughs> so you just, and, and you it never, it never, you just never know. And it, right. it just speaks to chemistry. Right. It really proves it's not about the physical necessarily. Right. I mean, there's a great scene, Paul Newman. You know what Paul Newman used to say to actresses before sex scenes? Uh-uh. He says, if I get aroused, I hope you'll forgive me and also forgive me if I don't. <laughs> there you go. You never know who's going to show up at the Sunset Tower, but fresh off the plane from New York City, my bestie, Andy Cohen, walks up, grabs some french fries, and heckles us over my shoulder. Hey, Bruce Bossy. Hey, hey. Andy. Hey, what's going on? You never going? know who's going to show up. I love it. Pull up a microphone. How are you guys doing? Pull up a mic, What baby. are you guys talking about? Are you letting Rob have a word in? Am I? Yes, totally. Of course. No, we just we just talked about the Battle of the Network Stars. It's oh my God! Oh, wait a minute, it's my favorite you thing. You competed ever. on Battle of the Network. No, we're, even better. I went I went and watched it in red dolphin shorts and no shirt. Oh. And there the picture exists, sadly. Wow. Not I've, sadly. I, who? What I'm, I'm, woman? I'm 15 and I, I look like Christy McNichol with her top <laughs> off. <laughs> what woman do you remember seeing that caught your eye? At Battle of the Network, stars. Oh, all of them, because it was. I, what I now realize, it was just an excuse yes. to have nipples showing yes. the bathing suits. It was literally only 
You know, if you ever listen to clips of it now, Howard Cosell's commentary is so sexist and offensive. It's offensive. It's, it's, it's the. It is I mean, just everything that you oh, he just, He's say like a, a dirty old man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the year that I I went multiple years because they were, they shot it at Pepperdine and I was yeah, living in Malibu. Right. Right? Yeah, so. I went one year because Chevy Chase was going to be in it. He was my hero. He did not show. <laughs> and then I went one year to see Farrah Fawcett Majors. Oh, my God. Well, well I of mean, course. that's worth the trip. Um, yeah. And did you see her? I did. Wow. And did you ever know her later in your life when you became famous? I did. I remember at Sp right at Spago, right. one time in the 80s when Ryan O'Neill and Farrah walked in. They, yeah, to this day, this. were the most beautiful couple I'd ever seen walk into a room. Wow. Like they're, they're absolute height of their beauty. It was wow. insane. Okay, I'm going to go get a drink and let you guys be. I'm going to be at the bar. All right. Good to see you, All right, Good to see you. You never know. At the tower. At the tower. This is it. Yeah, I love know. it. I mean, come on. You know, your wife is amazing. You have a very long relationship. Married 32 years. Cheryl is one of the coolest women out Thank there. Thank you. She loves I mean, you. Loves you. She was super love. excited that I was yeah. coming to hang with you today. This is awesome. And we connect. Um, how do you keep a marriage in Hollywood in that form? How do you, you know, because it's hard. I think it it's, must it's be hard. hard. Any, it's hard anywhere, right? I mean, it's not just Hollywood. It's everywhere. Marriage is hard. And it's it can be hard. It's not hard. If it were hard, nobody would do it. Right. It can be hard and will be hard. Right. Um, I have a couple thoughts. One of it, one is that it's it's all about who you choose. You know, I chose show was was and is my best friend. Right. So if you marry for anything other than the fact that it's your best friend, you're you're at a disadvantage from the jump because that will sustain when the other stuff ebbs and flows. Exactly. People say marriage takes work. I, I'm not sure if it takes work, but I, but it, what it does take is forgiveness, and and being really cognizant of what hill you're willing to die on. That is sage. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you yeah, know what I mean. I hear you. It takes staying in the room. Yes. Because if you leave the room, just stay in the room. When it ebbs and flows. Yes. When you you know you, you got to stay in the room. You, you, you definitely have to stay in the room. And, and then I think that there's a, a sense maybe on the outside when, when one looks at a long marriage and goes, oh, it's been, they're blessed, true. And it's a perfect marriage. There's nothing that's perfect. And I think the minute things go south for whatever reason, it could be any, any many, 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 many reasons, I think people can go, Oh, I knew it. This is this is bad. This is a mistake. The marriages that work don't have it. Everybody has those dark periods. And and when they come and they do, yeah. Just like a career. Yeah. Everybody has periods where it's not happening right. like you would like it. Right. You know, life is like that. It's yeah. ebbs and flows. You, you you just can't bail on the ebbs. Right. Cuz eventually it will turn around if you're with the right person. Right. If you stay in it, it will last because it's unique and you guys you could feel your chemistry still we you know we were together a couple of months ago yeah right and you feel it and you're I think you're right if you're lucky enough to fall in love with your best friend a, a person who becomes you know you have to have the heat I, I do believe you need the heat you need the heat for sure and yeah if you don't have the heat 
he, and that's a chemical and that's a important. chemical thing yeah it's like i still have it with cheryl i yeah. mean and you gotta keep time. the heat like, you gotta keep the heat that ebbs and flows too it's yeah. not like and by the way and that comes and goes too there are, there are times when you're just like ah and then all of a sudden you just like are wild for somebody I, right it's, it's one of the great human mysteries What's coming up for you? So we have Unstable. So Unstable is- um, Which I love, I can't wait to see, I really can't wait to see it. So um, it's, I'll which say it's is, out now. because it's, it's out probably, now, yeah. Unstable's out now, streaming on Netflix. Netflix. By the way, it's the breeziest, quickest, lightest, feel good romp. You can watch the entire season of Unstable in less time than it took you to watch The Irishman. <laughs> that's my, that's my selling point. I, I can feel it. Can you feel it? I can feel it. Um, I, saw, I mean, it's the reason I watched the uh, trailer three times. Yeah, so like, it Wait, flies. Um, Lone Star coming back for season five. Right. It's amazing. It's so much fun. And, you know, it, the Ryan world is a, is a great world. Right. Ryan Murphy world is a great world to be in. We are just, I just finished season three of the podcast. I think we're close to, we're closing in on 200 episodes. Wow. Um, and what do you love about that? I love this. I love right. what we're doing. Yeah. I love I love going down rabbit holes. You know, the, the long form interview. Yeah. Very few people do. Podcast is where long form interviews live. Right. Exactly. So that's why I, I I love it, and I I'm very curious. So I like having people on to learn from them, mm-hmm. but I also like having people on that I know, but I also know that the public does not know them in a way that I know them. Yeah. And I want to bring that part out. Like a, a good example for it is Maria Shriver and Oprah. Mm-hmm. And I've had them both on, on the podcast. And Maria is one of the smartest, eloquent, dignified, former first ladies, Kennedy. But she's really funny. And can like giggle and let her hair down and do that. But you never, you're not seeing that when she hosts the Today Show. Right. And the same with Oprah. To get Oprah laughing and and doing her thing is like, you have to know somebody yeah. to bring that. Same with Gwyneth. People have a very specific opinion of Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. And then I have her on my podcast and she's talking about how my wife taught her to give a blowjob. <laughs> right. By the way, true story. <laughs> the sun is setting and the golden hour descends upon us. I see the magic in Rob's blue eyes and my 17-year-old self could never have dreamed that one evening I would be having dinner with Soda Pop Curtis. As we celebrate the 40th anniversary of The Outsiders, I just want to say, stay gold, pony boy. What would you consider your greatest professional achievement? Professional? Yeah. I, I, I like to think that it is, it's my longevity. Yeah. And that I, like, as we sit here, I'm shooting a drama, an action drama, 911 Lone Star. Right. We're in our fourth year. And then also on Netflix have this hard comedy romp and that I get to go between those worlds. And is that's for me the thing that makes me the happiest because a lot of folks only get to do either drama or comedy and don't get to do both. I feel like you've done, I mean, you've been in theater on the, in the West End You, from the eyes of a teenager when I first was introduced to you to sort of see 
this longevity to see the, each the decades of your work. I think you're right. It's not that's not normal. I mean, I think that if you go back and you know part of like hearing your story or all the TV shows and the things that we grew up with, those, a lot of those people no one knows. And and you know what? Here's the other part. What I love is I never know when someone approaches me what they're going to ask about. Right. Like there's a world in which an actor is known for one for one thing. Yeah, that's it. Or or two. Right. Or maybe three. But like I was in Wadi Rum, Jordan, in the middle of the desert, and they say we have surprise visitors coming and I look up and there's a caravan of black SUVs coming out of the desert we're a hundred miles from anywhere it's the Prince of Jordan he's coming to say hello to me he's brought his wife and two kids because the two kids are huge fans of the low files wow which is an obscure adventure series I did with my sons on A&E wow so you just don't know right where it's gonna hit you never know that's crazy it's crazy it's crazy I think for me today tonight because we're having dinner which is great getting to know you over the years and spending time with you I've, I've been not only such a fan but I admire you and I think you know how you live your life with such integrity and with intention you're a cool so, cat. So nice. I love really this. Keep cool talking. Cat. It makes me feel I so good. Below. So I just want to say, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoyed I, Are you kidding me? This is great. I couldn't wait to do it. Thank you, everyone, for pulling up a chair on Table for Two. Table for Two with Bruce Bozzi is produced by iHeartRadio, 737 Park, and Airmail. Our executive producers are Bruce Bozzi, Jonathan Haas Dressler, and Nathan King. Table for Two is edited and written by Tina Mullen and researched and written by Bridget Arsenault. Our sound engineers are Emil B. Klein, Paul Bowman, and Alyssa Midgaff. Table for Two's LA production team is Danielle Romo and Lorraine Virez. Our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our talent booking is by Jane Sarkin. Special thanks to Amy Sugarman, Uni Cher, Kevin Uvain, Bobby Bauer, Allison Cantor Graber, and Barbara and Jen and Jeff Klein and the staff at the Tower Bar in the world famous Sunset Tower Hotel. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 